0: Father, I thank you for the reality of that confession, that you are indeed our living hope. Lord, I thank you that you know everything that goes on in our lives, and so much is the magnificence of your wisdom that you know things before they even happen. God, I thank you that that living hope isn't just something that is for later, but, Father, it's for right now. Lord, when we get blindsided when we deal with something that we didn't anticipate, when there's cruelty or smallness or just the frustrations that are common to life lived on a broken planet God that you are not surprised nor overwhelmed even though you are tracking billions of people and not just people but planets the immensity of it is beyond my imagination and yet you care for us you love us even as we are unlovable and that you continue to pour out your grace Lord thank you for the confession that nothing can separate us from that love Lord it is toward that living hope that we need to run please let us do so for the sake of the increased shine of your name for it is in Jesus precious precious name we offer these things. Amen. As you find your rest, I hope that you will also find First Peter. What an incredibly applicable word for where we live in these days. Even though oftentimes it's out of keeping with how our culture is currently moving. I remember i was introduced to a a new culture some years ago early on in my working career i'd probably only been in the workforce five or six years and i was beginning to learn some things about working that i hadn't anticipated and it was i think the third company that i'd worked for and it it was a major major company worldwide company and it had been around for about a hundred years at the time a little bit less than that about about a hundred years and I was sitting at a, at a manager's meeting. I was in, I was the low level of management. I was the guy, low guy on the totem pole. And we're meeting with the guy in the next up. And there was a bunch of us at this level. And I had a partner who was also a manager, same level as I. But he had worked there for a couple of years. So he had had a lot of experience. And I really rested on him a lot to kind of help me to know where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing, how I was supposed to do it, and all that kind of thing. And we're in this meeting. And... The, our boss had brought somebody else in to instruct us the things that we need to know as these low-level managers, and and he's talking, 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 and pretty soon, I'm so lost, and so I, I lean over to to my partner, his name's Danny, and I said, hey Danny, he's like what? He said he keeps on using this term, and I listed the term, it was an acronym, and I said, what does that mean? He says I have no idea. And it was it was like this epiphany right here, that and it just like exploded my whole world. It, here I am in this manager's meeting, being talked to in acronyms and special language that is specific to that particular company, and and I'm, I'm I lean over to somebody that's supposed to know what's going on. And he confesses that although he's heard this, because we talked about it after the meeting, he's heard it many, many times. He's never had the, the kind of umption to ask what I asked, which was, what does this mean? And it was one of those terms that, you know, sometimes you can figure out acronyms, you know, by context. You know, if, if you think about it, you know, how does this all relate? You know, it's like, okay, I may not know exactly what the term means, but I know kind of what they mean by using the term. We just couldn't even figure that out. And the the great epiphany there is that we as people we tend to do that we tend to as groupings. If anybody's ever worked for the government, are they not the best at these acronyms that seem to be you know? It's like, what does this mean? And and even when you figure out what does it mean, then even the acronym spread out is like, what does this mean? Uh, we we tend to do this, and we tend to be really ignorant to the impact of this specialized language on other people, and really lack the compassion even to help the guy out, you know, help the lady out, to actually follow along, because I know what this means, and if you don't know what it means, then too bad for you, and we're moving on, you know, get with the program. And as I was was looking at this passage that that we're going to be looking at today, uh, that that experience was once again rem- I remembered again. You know, this is our natural human tendency. We tend to make things complex in such a way that we don't really include other people the way that we ought to. And I think that uh, this is a, a key principle in this passage that's ending up a series of key principles about how we're supposed to relate to our world as, as Christians. And in This teaching that Peter's giving to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, there's this common thread that we need to remember. You know, in our dealings with the government, acronym or not acronym, the government isn't king, Jesus is king. In dealing with our employers, whether we're slave or free, our employers aren't king, Jesus is king. In dealing with our husbands, if we have them, Our husbands aren't king, Jesus is king, and in dealing also with wives, which is where we're going to be dealing today, uh, the wives aren't king, Jesus is king, and because Jesus is king, he demands that we interact in certain ways with each of these different groups of people, and so this is one confession of the lordship of Christ over every area of our life, Our, our area of dealing with the secular world the government our area of dealing with the employment world in our family world he's got to be king I think that that singular confession has to be remembered and as we look to this interaction between wives and husbands which we did last week and between husbands and wives which we do this week it's all the more important so just one verse this week uh Plenty to, to share, but just one verse this week. In the same way, First Peter 3 and 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Some translations say she is your fellow heir, which is, I think, actually even a better translation of this term. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I've already mentioned that we have to, as men, and I'm going to be speaking primarily to men, but also in keeping with the whole teaching of this passage, applying it to all of us, in the same way. Peter is saying that Jesus has to be king in the same way in each one of these environments in which we operate. And whether we be a wife or a servant or a citizen, all of these things have to be managed as Christians through the lens of who is king of us, period. And that's how we who are followers of Jesus Christ have to see our world. And that is incredibly freeing to know that even though what's going on right now may be unjust or what's going on right now be incredibly difficult, or just absolutely nonsensical that in every single one of those circumstances, Jesus is still king, and he's still ruling, and he's still involving us in the work that he has designed for us to do. And so there is this idea of submission that has woven itself all the way through this passage, and Peter reminds us again this is the focus of this teaching. Who's your king? Who's your king? Jesus must be the king of me. And so, because Jesus is the king of me and I'm also blessed with a wife, I have to give honor to her. I have to live with understanding with her. I may not use my physical dominance to press her down because Jesus is king. And I also. Have to be careful about not impacting my relationship with him so let's break this down phrase by phrase the very first um phrase in some translations the uh, new living translation flips it around but is to live with understanding the really cool thing about Being a follower of jesus christ is it gives us um, some superpowers that people in general don't have and one of those superpowers is being understanding of being able to be understanding that's the illustration i used right off the bat oftentimes uh, we like to celebrate the lack of understanding between men and women i don't know if you've ever experienced this but i've experienced this many times in my life i can speak plain english to my wife And she looks at me like I've spoken in acronyms. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, it was English, babe. I mean, how could you not understand that? But I also must confess, she has spoken plain English to me, and I've looked at her in the very same way. Okay, what kind of acronyms was was this? I mean, I I don't understand this at at all. Sometimes I'm confessing that, and those are the times of great wisdom. And sometimes I make decisions what I think she said, and go off that which is almost always a bad idea and so uh, this whole idea of understanding is a, a big issue particularly between men and women and there's been lots of books written about it philosophies have been formed about it uh, during the I think the 90s uh, men are from Mars and women are from yeah so you you know this you know the kind of thing and so there, there's this idea that somehow for those that don't believe in God, that there's these, these beings that evolved and as they evolve, they become less and less and less able to understand each other. Well, here's the superpower that we have by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We actually can understand each other. When we lean over to our Lord and Savior who's with us and is like, what is she saying? We will hear whispers back, this is what she's saying. And so this is, this is a great opportunity for men, and indeed for women too, but for men to be able to think, okay, this, what I think she's saying may not be what she's really saying, and that this particular circumstance we're in, we may not exactly see the same, but because Jesus is my king, I can actually live... understanding so things that I don't see the same way that my wife sees or maybe don't even understand the same way that she understands I can live with understanding because of what have you caught the point yeah because of Christ because Jesus is my king and so things that we don't agree about because Jesus is my king we can work through and things that I don't understand because Jesus is my king he can readjust my understanding So that I can comprehend where she's coming from. Isn't that a great promise, men, that we've been given? That God actually loves us that much to help us to understand the one to whom we have entered into that covenant relationship with? And that not only is that a privilege, but guess what? The language that Peter uses, and I think the New Living Translation does a fairly good job of it, it's not optional. Because it's really easy, and I've seen this over and over and over again, and I'm going to just be confessional here, I'm even con- going to confess, I've even done it myself, it's really, really easy to say, I don't get where she's coming from, we're going ahead, and just plow right ahead, and either make my wife try to be an anchor on that, whatever it is that, we're, that I'm plowing ahead on, and thus be my opponent, or have to just go along with it because I'm more powerful in my opinion or more powerful in my person or just more powerful, period. I'm going to exert my will because I'm able to. And here's the privilege of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't have to do that. In fact, I'm commanded not to do that. I'm commanded to live in a way that is understanding, and I'm able to do that. And that's, that's the great joy, is that I'm able to do that. Now, does that mean that I understand my wife, Michelle, in all circumstances? You can ask her, and she will tell you absolutely, unequivocally, no. <laughs> no. No. But it does give me the privilege to say, hey, babe, I really am not getting where you're coming from right now. Can you help me out? And then she has the privilege because of her respect for Jesus as king in my life and in her life to help me out, even when she thinks I'm being ridiculous, which happens from time to time. And so this is the very first command that God gives to men, to men specifically. Now, that's a challenge for women too, because I've talked to enough women to know that they oftentimes will shake their heads about their husbands. It's like, I have no idea why he thinks this is so important or he really wants to invest this much time in this and such and those things we definitely come from different perspectives but God did not create those perspectives so that we could be at odds with each other God created those perspectives so that we could help each other which goes all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in the garden Eve was given to Adam not to be a thorn in his side right but to be a partner in the labor that God had given to Adam to do. She was to be his side-by-side, his companion, the one through whom the commission of God was fulfilled, not only in the bearing of children and the population of the earth, but the caring and tending of it, the rule of it as well. It's very clearly taught in the Scripture and very clearly understood. And so this is the blessing that God's given to us. And because of sin, we've struggled with it. Sin in my life, sin in her life, sin in the world in general. However, but because of Christ, when he is king of us, we're not only able to have understanding, we are commanded to work toward that end. Men are also commanded and expected to demonstrate honor. You husbands must give honor to your wives paul in the letter to the church at ephesus really takes us to the fullest extreme Uh, if you're familiar with the letter uh, he covers pretty much everything in about the christian life in a very very short amount of words he talks about how we come to salvation through grace by faith Uh, he talks about the the change that happens in our lives he talks about the obligation of the christian life and how we're supposed to be different than the rest of the world and he gets into those family relationships and the connection between uh, the, the letter that Peter writes to the church and the letter that Paul writes to the church is this common confession that Jesus is king and the, word, uh, the use of the word hypotasso, which means to put into order or to submit. And so both use the word. They use it very similarly, and they apply it to familiar relationships. Peter takes it a little bit further and applies it to go- government relationships, with, which Paul looks at in Romans, but that's for another sermon altogether. Um, But in the the letter that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, his demand for men under the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is that the men love their wives in the same way as Jesus loves the church. And he, he doesn't just leave it out there in kind of the philosophy kind of way. He's very specific about it. And if you're familiar with the passage, um, can, you le- can you let me hear it? He said, you husbands must love your wives even as Jesus loves the church. He, do you know what the rest of that is? How he demonstrated his, his love for the church? How did Jesus demonstrate his love for the church? He gave his life. That's right. He gave his life. And so that is the level of. That God says the standard that he said is supposed to be the level of the love that husbands have for their wives. What greater honor could there be, men, to be in a relationship with a woman who knows with reasonable surety that you love her the way that Jesus loves the church. And if it's a choice between your life and hers, yours is gladly given. You're not going to be the guy who's walking down the sidewalk and the criminal comes up, give me your money, and you immediately pull your wife over and says, open your purse, right? You're not going to do that. You're immediately going to stand in front of her and put yourself between that danger and her. That honor... Is also not just given in those extraordinary circumstances where there's some sort of a physical danger, but it's also in my life pursuits, my life philosophy, my life ideas. That we, when we're, when I see that this, that thing that's important to me or that I'm driven by or whatever is harming her, then I'm going to give up this in order to attend that. And that is not an object, it is the person that God's given me. In relationship with. And that's God's command for husbands toward their wives. It's not just this, I need to be nice to her, you know, I need to not be mean to her, but I'm actually behaving in such a way that she knows that my life itself is placed at her disposal because of that love. And not only that, but I'm cherishing her in such a way that the things that are important to me, the things that drive me, the things that I'm occupied by are things that I'm willing to release in order to show her honor. Now, I've shared with you uh, a little bit about this, and and so I know I already have. I mean, it's one of the things that, that I've been around church a long time. It's one of the things that you do with preachers. It's like, okay, he's told us this story before. And so that's okay. I, I know this is, but this was a big thing. You know, my wife likes coffee. I like the smell of coffee okay, but I was not really ever motivated to drink coffee. My dad drank, um, you remember the old steel thermos bottles, you know, the, the big ones with the little cup on the top? You know, my, my dad would, would brew uh, a pot of coffee in the morning, and he'd pour it in his thermos, and he drank it all day. And uh, that would, that's, I don't think he ever ate lunch. I think he had coffee. And uh, so uh, my dad's very, very affectionate. You know, he's he huggy and stuff. And I just remember coffee breath. You know, I, I don't care who you are. If you drink coffee, it doesn't do anything for your breath. It, it just doesn't. And I don't mean to be offensive. It just doesn't. And so you know, coffee breath, Now, I never really had that just in case you're wondering situation with Michelle. But re- that was my recollection is this coffee breath thing. And, and so we were married, and, and you know, she's like, you know, babe, I'd really love for you to have some coffee with me. And it's like, why would I want to have boiled bean juice? That's why I'd always tell her. I mean, if you ask her, she, she'd say, yeah, I heard about the boiled bean juice all the time. And then I, I couldn't just leave it at that. I'm, I must confess, uh, I actually gave her a hard time about it. I said, you don't even really like coffee. And she says, what do you mean? I love coffee. I said, no, you don't. If you really love coffee, you wouldn't put all that other stuff in the coffee to cover the case of coffee so that you'd like it. And so I, I would tease her about it, tease her about it, tease her about it, tease her about it. You know, a year went by, no coffee. Five years went by, no coffee. Ten years went by, no coffee. Fifteen years went by, no coffee. And she, you know, she didn't nag me about it. She's like, you know, I'd really love for you to have some coffee with me. I was like, yeah. I'm a tea guy, I like tea and you know, I have tea. And so um, some years ago, I was um, looking at our relationship and I noticed that there were some strains in our relationship, um, some things that I was doing that wasn't uh, helping, and some things I was pursuing that weren't advancing us as a as a relationship. so I, I talked to the Lord, I said, God, um, things are going really well, and I know that they're not going well. I feel this distance between the two of us and and uh, I need you to, to help me out. So I'm, I'm going back to the, the original illustration. I'm leaning over to the Lord, saying, What does this mean? And He's leaning back and He's telling me. <laughs> it, was, it was the weirdest answer to prayer, I think. I've had some really weird answers to prayer, but this was one of the weirdest answers to prayer. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to God, and it's like, Lord, and one of the things that I want to encourage you is when you talk to God, shut up and listen, because He actually does talk back. So just be quiet listen. So I said, Lord, you know, I'm having this problem, you know, this thing's going on, and, and um, I'm feeling this relational distance. And, and so the Lord spoke back to me. One word. That's what it was. And, and um, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. I'm like, really? I mean, really, Lord, really, this is it? It's like, you asked, there it is. So, okay. Yeah. Now again, I'm not so opposed. Some people don't even like the smell of coffee. I like the smell of coffee. Anything smells good. It's like okay, at least it smells good. So, I went to uh, to Michelle. I said, Michelle, I've been thinking, I've been praying. uh, I'm thinking I'm going to change some things that I'm doing, and I'm going to make time, you know, in the morning for you and I to have a cup of coffee. You'd think that she got a ten-carat diamond ring that day. Why? Why? Because that's something that was important to her, that she knew I didn't particularly care for. But even if it was just one cup, and it's just one cup in the morning with her, it was that choice to honor her. And so guys, the, the story, the point of the story is, is simply this. It's not the extraordinary things. It's it's just a cup of coffee. It's just a cup of coffee. And when you love the Lord enough to have the cup of coffee, that honors her. And those are things that you must do. These are not not optional things. I believe 100% that if I did not have that cup of coffee with my wife and do not have that cup of coffee with my wife in the morning, that's an act of disobedience because I'm not honoring her. Now, is it wrong not to drink coffee? No, no, it's not. And that's the whole point. This isn't a moral issue here. This is an obedience issue. And when we love the Lord enough to obey, these things become great opportunities for great grace in our lives and great understanding. Now, that that simple time that we spend in the morning has just continued to bear fruit fruit and fruit and fruit and fruit and more fruit. And I found that God has chosen to bless me in ways that I could not have possibly anticipated by slowing down because I'm a morning person. I'm one of those guys that wake up gone, slowing down, reorienting my day. And so even though I was honoring my wife, God was sneaking in some stuff in my own life that needed to be changed as well. And that's just how he works. And that's one of the reasons why God's given us this great privilege that we have in being married. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. I'm going to speak uh, for a few minutes about uh, keeping in clear channel with God, but I want to point out a couple things before i get to that that is also contained in this passage one of the ways that the new living translation works this this encouragement is life together and i don't want to spend a tough ton of time but we are very good in this culture about leading our lives apart You know, you go off, you do your job. She goes off, she does her job. You get together, you have kids, you take care of your household, those kinds of things. But really, in the reality, your life is very much separate. God has designed us to live in this relationship together, not separate. And so I'm just really going to encourage both the women and the men who are listening to this to examine yourselves. How is my life being lived? Am I living my life by myself, doing my own thing? Or am I living life together with this one that I entered into the covenant of marriage with. And if the answer is not yes to the second question, then I'm going to encourage you to repent and to find the place that you can live together with understanding and honor with this person that you're married to. The other thing that I wanted to uh, address is this whole idea of being weak. I remember the very first time this was brought to my attention. I really wasn't familiar with it. Uh, I was in college, actually, and there was—you uh, know—college is was that time when when people are always questioning stuff. And and I happened to go to a college where um, speaking about biblical things was not unusual. And there were a lot of things that happened. I remember sitting in the quad, and we're all. You know this is the guys dorm we're all being guys which was pretty much being Neanderthals and and uh, we're doing and one of our our friends one of my classmates comes in and he he announces to the whole group "Um, I've decided that the Bible is full of lies and that there is no God and we were like we're just sitting around here belching don't bring bring bringing this stuff in here this kind of a thing and 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 you just this was he his whole world had just been crashed down he'd taken a class and the professor you know talked about all the lies that there are in the bible and stuff like that and he did not have the equipment to kind of work through it and so there's lots of this kind of stuff going on and and there was this one young lady and i don't i actually don't even remember how the whole conversation got started or if she just kind of just dropped this on me but she she came up she I, i remember the 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 circumstance she came up and she said do you think that I'm weaker than you are? I like, I have no idea. Are we gonna arm wrestle? I mean, I just it was just total off, like I said, I have no idea how this conversation she said. The Bible says that um I'm weaker than, than you are. Do you believe that? Now that's that's kind of a tough question, right? You know, it's like I don't know you. You might be able to kick my butt. I have no idea, you know. And I don't don't really want to find out at this point. But my option is I don't believe the Bible, you know. So I'm, I'm so I'm 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 doing what I'm doing right now. I'm stammering. Blah blah blah, blah, blah you know, So, I, so I, I the best I could do at the time was to oh, where are you getting that? <laughs> so because I wasn't familiar with this passage in in, in Peter, and so she write um. You know, she's like, this is in First Peter and you know, three and seven and blah blah blah, and, and goes off and has a whole lot more to say about it. And I'm just standing there hoping that she's not doesn't stops talking so that I have to say something else. And I think that I did the uh, good old um, uh, religious thing at the end. I don't remember coming out of that conversation with any sort of dignity at all. Uh, I think I was, I'll have to look into that and get back to you. So. Because I just had no idea what to say. I think that there's a couple things that need to be said. And I'm glad for the wisdom of experience and also glad that I did indeed. Although it was kind of a cop out because it was a cop out to say, you know, I'm really not familiar with what you're talking about. So I don't have a whole lot to say. I'll have to look it up and get back to you. I did look it up, and I, and I did, you know, do some investigation. I've done since then. It's just one of those things, you know, sometimes the weirdest things that happen to you become things that you remember the longest, I know. Uh, and it is indeed the case that most mo- women are physically stronger than women. Most men are physically more strong than women. Now, having worked at uh, United Parcel Service, I've met some women that could flat out blow the guys out of the water regarding physical strength, endurance, those kinds of things. Having watched my wife bear three children without the assistance of any painkillers other than Tylenol, I appreciate her strength at a completely different level. Uh, So there are things that women do that make me shudder even to think about that, even though physically, if i were to attack my wife i could probably prevail especially if i snuck up on her i think that certainly peter has in mind in this teaching that principle guys tend to be a little bit bigger um, the guys who are physically more able particularly when it comes to violence to exercise that are more capable and so certainly he has that in mind Uh, it was not unusual in this time as it is not unheard of in this day for a man to physically beat his wife in fact there were even some regulations in the cultures at the time as to how much you could do that Uh, it wasn't illegal to do it it was just illegal to do it too much kind of thing so that's certainly in in mind but i think that there's also some other things within the passage that we also need to consider And that is that we see things differently. Not every woman is more compassionate than a man. But I know whenever I had a boo-boo, I went to my mom. I didn't go to my dad. My dad loves me. Why did I go to my mom? (laughs) Because I thought that she would probably be a little bit more compassionate. You know, dad's response is more like, Are you bleeding? Uh Uh-huh. Get a Band-Aid. You know, know, there was no, oh, that looks like it hurts, you know, kind of thing. And again, it's not because he's not a loving man. He's, you know, I've already confessed, he's one of those guys that love to hug you and, you know, do those kinds of things. It's just different. And I think that in every generation, what the great struggle is between men and women, part of it is to see things that we may perceive as being weak, and then assume that that's exactly what it is. So if you have compassion on somebody, then you're weak. It's strong to say, suck it up, right? That's strong, you know, because that's manly. And I think he's also speaking about that. It's, it's more of a, a philosophical or approach way things. Now, are there times that you need to suck it up? Yeah. Childbirth is one of those. You know, I mean, that's, that's doggone. That's some pain. I mean, and that can go on for a long time. That's terrible stuff. Glad I've not had to do that. And you just, if you're going to bear a child, you have to work through that. That's something that you have to do. And so even women have times when they have to do that. But they also have times when they have to say, oh, you got a scrape on your knee. Let me help you that. And they're gentle. And they tend to, as a group, not everyone, there are some women that are suck it up you know if it's if it doesn't need amputation you're fine get out of the house kind of thing um i think that that's also been perceived as as weakness and so i think peter talks about both the physical and the approach way uh, maybe even the ideas that we have he says listen you can't see that as being weaker than you and use that to dominate When she wants to be compassionate and you can be dispassionate, that you use that to your advantage and that you beat her down or that you ignore. You need to live with her in a way that understands that there's value in that. And as a little guy who got lots of scraped elbows and lots of scraped knees, I value that, that there was that strength there to feel sorry for me because I Taking my bike down the ramp and it didn't do, do so well, and over I came and scraped elbows, scraped knees, and not a, well, that was a dumb thing to do. Sorry you got scraped up, but it's the way you're doing. That's not weakness. There is actually strength in there. So, the last principle is this She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. There may be some place in the scripture where there's a parallel to this. Um, I've not yet found it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I just haven't found it yet. For me, that it not be evident that there's some parallel really presses the importance of this particular principle. God so values this woman that we talked about in the passage before that if she's mistreated by you, man, God gets deaf when it comes to your prayers. The idea of the hindrance of of, of prayers um, is is a culturally connected one. There's this idea that there's somehow um, this the basis in in the the I think the biblical principle is found in Daniel where you know Daniel's praying and there's a messenger sent and the messenger sent from the Lord and is hindered by the spiritual powers if you're not familiar with it you can find it in the book of Daniel and I think that this perhaps was what Peter had in mind is that while there's a ready answer it's not going to get to you you're not going to get Lord what do I need to do coffee you're going to get And that there's going to be a lack of or slowing of responsiveness to your communication with God. I also think that there's another principle, and this is a principle that I know for certain to be true. And that is when we treat our wives improperly, it so affects our relationship with ourselves that we are not properly communicating to God. So not only is there a hindrance in God's response but there's also a hindrance in our ability to pray because we're out of whack and that we maybe are not even speaking the things that we need to be speaking to God we're not approaching God the way that we need to be approaching God and so it changes how we approach God as well so I see this as a double-edged sword I'm not able to speak to God the way that I'm supposed to be because I'm not treating her well. And God's not responding to me the way that he wants to be because I'm not treating her well. And so it doesn't matter which way the sword is cutting. It is cutting nonetheless. And this is a very serious situation. Because the thing that I never want to have experiencing in my life is my ability to communicate with the God who's with me every moment of every Nanosecond of my existence, and is literally causing my life to exist by the power and the presence of His Spirit in my life. And this is the way for me to mess that up. And so, for those that would see the scripture and say it oppresses women, you know, it puts women in second-class citizens, and those kinds of things, this passage actually speaks directly against that. And I wish that I had had that understanding with that young lady so many years ago and that I just wasn't stammering and slobbering all over myself and being a typical guy at that moment but like I said years and experience and pursuing understanding does help does help but it is true if you're a if you're a woman married or unmarried God loves you and he's passionate about you he's made you join heirs with your husband if you're married and with your brothers in Christ if you're not. And that that value goes so far that the standard of the way that you're to be loved in the covenant relationship of marriage is the standard of Jesus' love for the church. And the warning against not attending to that responsibility is so severe that it actually is a direct threat against our very relationship with God, our, our ability to even communicate with Him. So... In the same way in the same way regardless of whether we're dealing with our government which is an interesting thing in every generation uh, we kind of like to act like our government's the worst that there's ever been not true uh, we're very good at making bad governments we've done it generation after generation in dealing with our employers we like to think that our particular employer is a particularly head num- hard numb school and Um, No, no. We've been producing bad bosses and bad slave masters for generations and we'll continue to do that. Inattentive husbands or just ones that are absolutely out of step with God's word. uh, No, that's nothing new. Nothing new at all. But we still need to in the same way. And with difficult wives who we don't quite get no no we're continue to birth little girls that grow up into young women that guys have absolutely no idea what they're talking about it happens but the remedy for all of those circumstances is singular and that's Jesus being your king and so the challenge of all of these instructions of how we relate to our world as Christians is the same we relate from the singular truth that Jesus is my king. And because Jesus is my king, I can respect and honor and work in an environment of a country where the government is no good. I can respect and work and do excel in a workplace to where things are wrong, they're upside down, maybe even unethical because Jesus is my king with a husband who's not everything he's supposed to be, with a wife that I don't particularly understand. All of these things are possible in Christ if he's your king, as he should be. If Jesus is not your king today, I'm going to invite you to make him such right now, to surrender the rule of your life as it is, however that's working out for you, and invite him to be the king of you, the boss of your heart, to turn from what sin is at its very essence, your choice to be your own God, and to receive him for what he alone is rightfully do. And that is to be the king of your life. The Lord, the God of you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, these things are very hard. All of them. All of them. And I've worked for employers that are not good. I've lived in the same country that you've lived in relation to government not good I'm married to a person who's not perfect practically but not there and I'm certainly that man but I can tell you with full assurance that when Jesus is king of me that is the best thing I can be father I thank you so much for the privilege of sharing your word Lord, thank you for giving us things how, be it incredibly difficult for us in our human frailty and our human rebellion to really access. But God, I thank you that by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, you can and must be king of me every moment of every day. And Lord, I'd ask that whether it be um, simply obeying to have a cup of coffee with my lovely wife in the morning, of giving up a few moments of what I think I can do to make the world bend to my will or be a better place wherever I happen to be at the moment is an exercise of your love and grace. Or if it be something far more extraordinary in the human eye, God, you make us able for the sake of your shine in us. God, I pray that that would be more and more and more and more and more the case amongst your people as we struggle with being separated, as we deal with the fears of becoming very ill, as we endure the life of having desires that far outstrip the resources that we seem to have as we live life on this broken world. Be king of us. And Lord, for those that know in the depths of their heart where I cannot reach and only you can be, that you are not their king. God, I'd ask that you'd stir them. God, that you cause them to be woke. And the place where there was no love for you would now be a well broke open. And out of that well would come, that love that comes only through the power and the presence of your spirit. And God, that you'd allow us to celebrate with them this new life that you will bring. Because now you are their king as well. Lord, let it be in Jesus' name. Amen.